Now, let me ask you a question. Are you frustrated with how long it takes to get stuff done in your construction company or with how chaotic or confusing things seem to get? Well, then let me tell you about a much better way of getting work done. And let me tell you about an amazing tool that will help you overcome the frustrating log jams in your construction company. Sweet Process is a simple but powerful tool that lets you create clear step-by-step instructions for every task in your construction company, from writing proposals to executing client work to responding to client requests, so everything gets done more easily and more reliably. Plus, you'll have a central place where everyone who works with you, your employees, contractors, and even virtual assistants can access your procedures anytime from any device. The best way to understand how Sweet Process streamlines your work is to start using it. The company offers an amazing 14-day free trial, but as a loyal listener of this podcast, you can try for 28 days free of charge. You don't even have to enter a credit card to get started. Just navigate to sweetprocess.com backslash AFT construction to start your free 28 day trial today. How is the backyard different than it was 10 years ago? It's very different. You know, swimming pools used to be deep bodies of water with diving boards, whereas in they're much more now a social place, shallower bodies of water, tanning ledges, shallow areas, uh, lots of benches, more shade opportunities, much more of a relaxation as opposed to a deep body of water, right? So the backyard has changed. The way we're using it has changed in that sense, but has it changed over COVID the way we're using it? No, we're just using it a lot more. So welcome to episode 91 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today, Christopher Anderson, who's president and founder of Ledge Lounger, joined us. And it was an amazing conversation. You know, Chris has a background in construction and design. He's been in marketing Uh, worked in the pool industry, landscaping, and now is in the furniture industry. And we spoke a little bit about that journey, but more importantly, really understanding what is the key to running a successful business? What are the two key elements that any company needs for that company culture to build that, to have a loyal base there that helps support your brand? And then how do you build those silent salesmen? How do you build that B2B business? And when you start thinking about knowledge and information and, and manufacturing and putting all this together, especially with COVID as times are changing, and how do you navigate you know, through product and supply chain and forecasting and solve issues, all of these details. There's so much valuable information that all of you will gain from listening to this episode. Not only that, but Ledge Lounger themselves, they have some amazing products, just revolutionary to bring that resort feel into your personal house or business if you have a commercial space. But for the residents alone, we have the product in our home. It's amazing. We love it. So check out their website, www.ledgeloungers.com backslash AFT. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have with us Mr. Chris Anderson, who is uh, visiting from Texas, and he is the president of Ledge Lounger. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm enjoying being here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. And I guess to start off, you know, before we get into the conversation of business, which we love, you know, Ledge Lounger itself, for those listening, what is it? Wow. Uh, that's lesson number one on the on the business front here. So let me just kind of paint a little bit of a picture. Uh, Ledge Lounger originally was a product uh, and then Ledge Lounger has become a brand. And I think that's a, that's a common mistake that uh, I made when businesses uh, come to market with a product is they, they name the business after the product. And then eventually, in some cases, the, the business becomes more than that single product. So Ledge Lounger in the past used to be the product, the the in-water signature chaise that we refer to it now. Ledge Lounger today is a company. It's a company that's made up of over 100 products. 
but uh, I think where you're going with the question might be, what is a ledge lounger? A ledge lounger is a as a in-water piece of furniture that's made for the tanning ledge, Baja shelf, sun shelf, just depending on geographically where you are in the country, you might refer to it as something different. Uh, but ledge lounger is also becoming kind of synonymous, kind of like uh, Xerox, right? It's uh, We invented a category of furniture that goes in the pool in a shallow area and so now people are referring to any product that goes in that shallow area as a ledge lounger so um, ledge lounger has a couple different meanings yeah it's interesting because you you really took this angle of you know there are products but then there's also brands and when you kind of position yourself this way as you mentioned xerox or kleenex or q-tip right there's some of these things where when you think of that that's actually the brand but it's the product itself so you know what you know, how did you get to that space where now people are referring to you as the brand, not just the product? Number one, it takes uh, quite a bit of marketing, quite a bit of uh, of branding. So, you know, there's one thing to, you know, put an ad out there with your with your product on it or promote your product. But there's another thing to show customers uh, some emotional feel of what it's like to use it. And I think that's one thing that we've really been focusing on over the last five years is is how do we how do we dial into our consumer and think about what makes our product the hero product to the customer? What is the what is the problem the customer has that they're trying to solve by buying our product? You know, number one, it's obviously they've got the space that they want to fill out. Uh, but number two, they want to be able to go relax in their backyard space. You know, they want to they want to have a, a cool pool when their friends come over that to see something that they've maybe never seen before. So it's really dialing deep into what the customer expects and wants out of our product, and then connecting with them emotionally through our marketing. I love that you brought up the emotional side. It's interesting. You know, the more I speak with business owners, it's a common theme. You know, you have to build this emotional connection with your client. And it doesn't matter which industry you're in, whether you're manufacturing or products as you are, or you're in customer service or, you know, whether you're in the restaurant business or construction as I am. And and I've given this a lot of thought and this is something in, internally we've spoken a lot about with our team because, you know, I have some customers that definitely feel, hey, AFT is saving marriages one house at a time, right? They have this emotional <laughs> connection, right? It's a stressful yep. process to build a house. It is. And yet is. I have another client that I've been working through and it, there's been a disconnect for whatever reason. And they've been, you know, frustrated and, it, you know, and, and part of that is that emotional connection. What did we miss, you know, through that process? And so, you know, there's a big part of that for the emotional connection, you know, as people see Ledge Lounger and they see that product either at, a friend's house they visit or a commercial project, you know, and they're like, I want this. I want part of that. And then there's also the performance side to make sure that you're keeping up on manufacturing and commitments and, you know, the the product will last, the warranty side, right? These all go hand in hand with what you're doing. That's right. Absolutely, man. In in these challenging times over the last couple of years, it's it's been even harder, right? I mean, you we uh, we certainly want to set an expectation that we're going to be able to, um, you know, over deliver, uh, you know, under under promise, over deliver kind of situation, right? Uh, but supply chain over the last couple of years, especially this year, uh, has been very tough. So you, you know, but it's it's how you react, uh, and you bring up a great point. So number one, it's yes, connect connect the product to the consumer. But number two is follow up on the back end, and it's how you react. And for example, right now, right, we're we're uh, 
there have been some labor shortages, so we, we really have uh, missed a few deadlines for some clients for some lead times, but we pick up the phone ahead of time. We reach out to them. We try and let them know that their products are going to be a little bit late as opposed to wait. So communication is so critical in what you're describing uh, for the process to go smoothly and for somebody to be ultimately happy in the end with the brand. Uh, and then it's the follow-up after, you know, the follow-up after the job's done. You know, if they call you and they have a problem, how are you going to take care of it? I think so many people are on to the next sale. Whereas, and we really focus on our customer service. We actually have pulled customer service out of our sales department, put it into our operations department. Uh, and, and that's really, really helped a lot because they know firsthand what's going on with the product and, and they can solve it a lot faster than a sales team that just wants to move on and sell the next project. Yeah. I love that you share that, Chris. And I'm going to put you on the spot in a good way because I know you didn't anticipate this, but it's, you know, a couple of months ago. Well, a little background. So we do, uh, you know, high-end custom homes. We do a lot of uh, really nice pool um, builds with our with our pool vendors. And you know, ledge lounger is a, a common um, item in our projects, right? It's always sure. something there. And that. my wife's, yeah, my wife's always like, Brad, we need to get those for our house. Like, we need to have those <laughs> in, right? So I, I was dragging my feet, dragging my feet, and here we are, you know, coming to the summer season. My kids love to swim, and I'm like, we got to get these orders. So I order, I purchased um, a few of the ledge loungers, you know, for our our pool. And right now in the crunch, I mean, here's COVID time. Everyone's dealing with manufacturing and delays and shipping. I mean, we're, we all understand what the common theme is right now. And it was amazing, you know, as I contacted customer support, just say, hey, do you have an idea? ETA? I mean, they were super responsive within one hour, you know, all the information when it would come and delivered. I mean, it was just amazing that in this crunch time of summer, when everyone wants it, that you guys delivered. And I think that's really important that, that it is what you're speaking about is really happening through the channels. Well, I appreciate it. And that's, uh, that's certainly who we want to be. Uh, now, does that always happen? No. Occasionally, you do have a couple emails that slip through or phone calls that don't get returned just because the, the, you know, the sense of chaos or the busyness. But uh, we do our absolute best. And if at any point in time, somebody has not been communicated to, uh, we, we, it's, you know, we ask them to show us a little bit of grace because we're not doing it on purpose. We're not a fly-by-night business. We're here. We're going to take care of you. Uh, and we care about our customers, every every single one of them. So it's interesting. I mean, as a as a big company that you are, and as you're working with so many different product lines, and you know you're dealing with you know small companies, you know you're dealing with large companies, you know large vendors, you know. So how does that training happen in house? Like, how are you facilitating the culture there so that people understand how they should be communicating with the end customer? Sure. Well, I think it's it's. <laughs> setting setting the expectations uh, number one right I think that's on all fronts when you're a business owner you need to set the expectations with your customer when you set the ex- expectation with with your team with your employees with your team members uh, letting our letting our team members know what to expect what we expect uh, and then also scorecards to hold them accountable uh, that's one thing that we've really focused on recently is is getting scorecards up on the walls around every department saying hey look you know this is what's expe- this is your goal this is what's expected of you and this is real time what's actually happening and reviewing what's actually happening on 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 a weekly basis even daily basis with our customer with our team members right to ensure that they're they're staying on track but you know i think one of the biggest questions that i've always focused on in these um, best places to work surveys is do you know what's expected of you as an employee at this company right and do you know where you stand and how well of how good of a job you're doing how your performance 
Do you know where you stand in performance with this company? Um, when we first started these these surveys for these best places to work, of which we have not gotten on one yet, and we're we're trying hard, not because we care about the reward or the you know the plaque, but because we know by winning a best places to work, we're going to have a great culture and a great environment. So that's our that's just our 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 goal. But the outcome of that means we're going to have a great place to work. My point is, though, and I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here. My point is, though, is setting the expectation and then showing them where they're at in relationship to the expectation. Right? Holding people accountable in that way uh, is, is proving to be very successful. You know, and I, I love that you brought that up, Chris. And again, you know, th- this is so important because every successful company culture of any company that I've networked with, the common theme is two things, right? They say that all the employees have to have clear expectations of what their role is. They need to understand they have to be accountable or at least understand how they're performing. And then number two, they have to believe in the product, right? They have to believe in what they're doing. Um, and, and it's interesting. You know, a lot of us think, well, to build a company culture, I need to have, you know, high pay for everyone, or I need to have, you know, a gym in my office so they can work out in between, you know, break time or whatever. And not that those things aren't important and we all are working, right? We come to work so that we can provide for ourselves and our family and work hard, play hard, right? There's value. But the two core things are as what you mentioned. They have to understand expectations and then they have to be accountable to those and believe in what they're doing. And if you can understand that as a business owner, that now gives them the lanes that they can be successful and understand their role. Mm -hmm. Very true. So how did you get in the outdoor furniture space, Chris? I mean, (laughs) this, you know, this is a very... I don't want to say niche space, but it's an important space. So how did that come to fruition? Yeah. So a bit of a story here and I'll try and make it, make it as short and sweet as I can. Um, I, my father's been in the swimming pool industry for, I mean, hell, since I was born, uh, we, uh, my parents were divorced. He had us on the weekends. I'd literally be digging ditches on pool sites. Uh, he followed, uh, some high end home builders that, uh, that used him on their projects. So, uh, we were always around new construction. We we're always around new homes where, you know, I was around pools growing up, swore to myself that I'd never get into this business, uh, <laughs> the pool industry business or the, or the pool building business, just cause it was, to me, it was digging ditches, right? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't what I later found out to be awesome about the um, industry. So went off to college, uh, got my degree at LSU, got into, uh, advertising and marketing, went to work for Dallas Morning News, left there, went up to uh, Nebraska for some business development opportunity up there and uh, quickly realized that I wanted to, I wanted to own my own business one day. I didn't really love working in these corporate environments and uh, shot back to Houston and worked with my dad kind of back in 2007, 2008, quickly found a a love and passion towards designing uh, these outdoor spaces and selling outdoor spaces. My father really got to focus on the construction side after I joined and I really focused on the sales and design side. So we kind of took our average pool from about $70,000 to about uh, $250,000 a project, built even some million dollar pools, just really cool. But when I say that it wasn't $250,000 dollars in the pool itself necessarily it was 2050 in the or 250,000 in the backyard up to a million and the reason why that was and why it increased was because my father being the designer and the builder before I came to work for him right he he'd work all day in the field he'd get home and he'd have some designs to do so how much time and effort, how much energy did he have to put into those designs? Not a whole hell of a lot. Additionally, he was going to have to go out there and build those designs. Uh, 
So when you're when the designer of the project is also responsible for construct, constructing the project, they're not necessarily going to go overboard on the design because they know they have to go out there and build it. They have to execute it. Well, what happened was when, when I came on board, after I spent a lot of time in the field with him and learned how to build and learned the construction side of it, I then got to sit in the office during the day, meet with customers during the day, and spend 8, 10, 12 hours on these designs because I was I had all the energy because I didn't have to be out in the sunlight, you know, working on these jobs. So I could really focus my energy on creating some beautiful designs. We use Structure Studios. And what happened was is because I had the time and because I was ultimately making a commission off the the project, I would look for more. Right. My father didn't make me employee, made me a 1099, uh, which looking back on it, I'm very happy with. But um, I had to look for more to make more money. We could only build 10 to 15 pools a year. What I needed to do is go out and find ways to increase my average job price. So the very first thing I saw was landscaping. You know, a pool builder. This is really crazy. Uh, a pool builder, and, and, and hopefully there's some relation to home builders here, but a pool builder, for example, Right. We spent about nine months from start to finish, about nine months from meeting with the customer to finishing a job, and obviously sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. Well, that nine months, let's just call it a $100,000 pool, 25% margin, if you're lucky, if nothing goes wrong, right? You might make $25,000. The company might make $25,000 off of that project that t- takes nine months, on a $100,000 pool, it was likely to get a, let's call it a $30,000 landscape package. We could turnkey that landscape package, make 50% margin on it, make $15,000, and that job would be installed in a week and a half to two weeks. So you take a two-week period of time, and you can make $15,000 profit for the company, whereas you take a nine-month period of time, and you can make $25,000 profit for the company. So I quickly saw landscaping as an opportunity to not only make my projects more beautiful and, and help create a final package for my customer, but also the ability to, to increase profitability. So we also then looked at, I said, okay, well now we kind of ma- mastered landscape. I, I learned plants. I learned how to get the jobs done, learned how to execute. My father really focused on the execution of the pool. So I would have to be on site and make sure the landscapings were done. Landscapes were done, meet with the contractors, you know, order the plants, really help logistically with all that. And of course I negotiated myself a little bit higher commission off these added things that we did on these jobs. Cause I was the one, you know, doing a lot of the work. Uh, but then what we also saw was, Hey, look, if we can do the landscaping, why not do the outdoor structures? Why not do the, the summer kitchens? What I also saw is why not do the furniture? And it made a lot of sense because if you think about it, let's, let's talk about real quick the difference between a, a home build necessarily and a, and a pool build. You don't, I think a lot of home builders are doing this now where they'll actually do a design builds concept where they'll actually design the house for the customer and also, um, build the house. But naturally, you know, historically you go to an architect, the architect gives you a set of plans, and then you take that to four or five builders, you get a bid and you choose your builder. The pool industry is much different. You go to your, you go to your pool, you say you call up five pool builders, you get five different designs. And typically you, a homeowner chooses their pool builder based on which designs the best. Right? So what I found was, look, if, if I'm going to design this pool, I can actually design 
the space to accommodate the furniture as opposed to dis- design a space and then have somebody try and come and plug furniture in. What I noticed was when we finish a pool project, and as you know, everybody wants to schedule a, a party, whether it's graduation or whether it's a birthday party or something, to land right at the end of your project, which, you know, that just makes us try and get the job done faster. What, what, what that did was that pressured my customers into going to Costco or Sam's or Home Depot or Lowe's and just buying this furniture that would last maybe one season. And additionally, the pictures were horrible of the projects after I finished them. And I couldn't then take these pictures and go market my projects because, you know, the, the, you, with the, the pool without, it's without the icing. It's like, you know, it's like the cake without the icing. You got to have the furniture. You got to have the landscape. So what I realized was, look, I can design the pool up front with the furniture in it to offer my customers a full turnkey package if they wanted to finance the furniture, if they wanted to finance the landscaping. But what I could also do was help make selections and colors, waterline tile to cushion color, to throw pillow color, to umbrella canopy, right? To umbrella base, to all the sizing and how they fit in and, and offer just ultimately a better experience than my, my competitors were. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because a couple of points here, it's, it's when you start thinking about the whole package, as you mentioned, I mean, it's this emotional connection, right? Is that when, when you connect with the customer and what they want, and this is done through your design and thinking through the entire process from furniture layout at some point to pool and landscape and how these interact. And it's, it's so similar to architecture. I mean, for me as a builder, if I have an architect that's laying out the design and a designer that has a design and they have the furniture plan, well, when I'm going through undergrounds, I know exactly where to put my floor outlets, right? I know Absolutely. exactly where the furniture is going to be and the lamps. And if I'm doing a certain backsplash where I want to hide the outlet so that we can have this decorative backsplash in the kitchen, well, it's no different on the exterior space for you where you're looking, okay, well, if I have my in-floor cleaning system in the pool on the Baja shelf, well, this is how we want the plumbing laid out. So then that way I can set the chairs accordingly here, lays out, there's no interruption, right? And, and it's really that emotional connection where you're bringing value right? Mm-hmm. And anyone that wants to be successful in businesses bring value. And there's a lot of ways to do that. But as you mentioned, Chris, it's okay, if I can design furniture, landscape, make this turnkey, not only if I'm bringing value to the client, but selfishly, the marketing side, we all want marketing, we want photography, that's how we build our business. And, you know, having these elements, you know, good furniture is definitely going to make for better photos. Yeah. And what I also found uh, to that point is it also helps your business with recession, right? So when we do see the downturns in the economy, I'm capable of offering so many more services now that as the market gets squeezed, I can now just do a landscaping project or just do a furniture project or just do this uh, and, and ultimately save my business because I can offer more services. See, and that's what's key because you think about, well, how do I sustain this as a company? How do I work through a recession? I mean, because we're in construction and any time in construction or many industries are impacted by recessions as we definitely are in the home building industry. So, you know, how do you become versatile, but yet mm-hmm. very target specific? And in essence, you can still do both, which is what you've done. You can still be specific into the pool side, but you're diversified and you have versatility in all these different avenues, right? That's and it's right. really, as you mentioned, you're creating elbow space. It's yep. okay. Well, I, I had the pool, but how can I upgrade the pool? How can I upgrade the landscape? How can I do the furniture? Well, this is elbow room now where you're providing value, but also creating margin and different opportunities for different uh, corners of your business. Yeah. And it's so critical. I mean, you got to stick with the core, right? You got to stick with what gets you there. And, and in my case, in the past, that was the pool. It got us into the backyard. Uh, but what else can I do in this space? Right. And I think that was a big focus on the business. 
So, so how do you stay ahead of the curve now? Because this is a whole different avenue. I mean, one thing is being current on design. It's being current on what the industry is wanting, you know, aesthetically and for their yard. But now furniture side, you have to be one step ahead. You have to really gauge that and, you know, not only the comfort side, but aesthetically and stylistically, you know, so how, you know, how's that research and development and how do you stay ahead of that? Sure. No, great question. Um, well, you know, I think with pools, it was relatively easy uh, because you only build maybe one or two pools in your lifetime, right? And I always kind of laugh about, I, I say laugh. I, I In the beginning, I couldn't figure out. It's like, why is the swimming pool industry not very innovative? Well, it's it's the, for that exact reason, right? You're only going to build one or two pools in your lifetime. So an LED color light is the coolest thing. It was the coolest thing 10 years ago to the guy that was building the pool 10 years ago. And it's the coolest thing now to the guy that's building the pool now, because it's the first time. Like, we're, Whereas if you want to buy a car, you're going to buy a car every three years. So the car better be better. It should be better this, this time when I purchased than it was three years ago and over and over and over. So innovation is so key. Home building uh, and, and uh, pool building construction, it it's not the same because people aren't just, they're not reoccurring that purchase over and over and over. So it was different then. Now when it comes to the furniture business, you know, the, the cycle is not every three years. I think people are changing their furniture maybe every five years. So you do have to innovate. Um, but we focused a little bit more on the durability aspect in, in really truly the usability, like what, what do I need in this space in this time? Right. Do I, do I need a place to store my kids toys? Do I need a place to, uh, put a TV on a credenza mount in the backyard so I don't have to hang it on the wall. Like more usability, I think is our core focus. Uh, the, the style will come. Um, and, and that is, you know, making sure that you just have some people on your team that follow trends and style and colors and materials. And, and that's one thing that we're focusing on getting better at. You know, we, we traditionally have used a lot of resin, plastic furniture, resin furnitures, because the durability of it is just second to none. It's the, I mean, you, you want to clean it, you take a pressure washer to it. You don't have to worry about getting a powder, you know, powder coat flaking off or anything like that. So first we look at durability and quality and usability. And then we look at, okay, now how do we apply the style to it? Whereas in a lot of companies look at, okay, what's going to look good? But to me, that's a problem, right? If you go buy some major name brand, and I'm, I'm not going to use names here, but imagine the people that you get in the catalogs every year in the mail and, and you go down to the, the high-end shopping area and you're going to go into one of these stores. The functionality of the furniture, the aesthetics control it. And you know, uh, if you have a rainstorm in your backyard, you're not going to go sit in that cushion for at least 24 hours without getting a wet butt, right? <laughs> Whereas when we said, hold on, what's more important is that you can go sit in that cushion shortly after it rains versus what it looks like. So, but now let's solve, let's solve usability first, then let's try and make it look the best we can make it as opposed to let's make it the best we can make it. And I think that stemmed from, we weren't in the patio furniture business. We had a very successful business just with the in-pool furniture. And we said, look, if we're going to go into patio, we're going to do it as durable and as strong as our current product. So that's, that's been the big focus for us there. 
Well, look, I mean, when you're solving that, I mean, just look at Uber, right? I mean, when you're, when you're solving issues, you know, and being ahead of that, that's why you're successful. And, you know, I love that you looked at the durability because we are in Phoenix. Okay. So Phoenix <laughs> right now, as I mentioned, it's 115 degrees today. It's going to be extremely warm. We're in that core of summer. And the issue we have as we start make, you know, looking at our designs outside, how does that retain heat, right? So as people are walking on their pool deck or they're at the pool or sitting on furniture, you know, to get burned or, you know, artificial turf. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this is important. And for me, you know, our family, we have the signature chase, right? And we have these. And it's amazing that in 115 degree temperature, they don't get hot. You can sit on them after they've been in the sun all day. And that is not common to most furniture. And so you look at that. And then the quality, how does it, you know, stay outside with these, ama- you know, that sun's out all the time in Arizona. So it has to perform. And then now you say, okay, if we can figure out the performance, if we can figure out um, the usability, you know, and the quality of it, well, now as we start working on the style, you know, and how that feels ergonomically, you know, as you're sitting down and comfortable, I mean, now you've really hit that mark and that, it, that really is the driver, I, I'm sure, to your success. Absolutely. I mean, we all, as designers, we all know, right, once, you know, there's, there's practical and function and then there's aesthetic. In the further you go with aesthetic, the less practical and function. You can't have you can't have the extremes of both. You have to choose. And we've decided we want to be we want to be quality first. And and we're not going to let style we're we're not going to push something out there that's just uh, pretty that's only going to last a short period of time. We're going to make sure that it it it's going to work quality wise, and then we'll add the style to it if we can. Well, and, and really that's the value you mentioned earlier in this podcast, Chris, is that if you can set the expectation with the client or the customer that, hey, you know, outside of price, there's other things we bring to the table, you know, and the value and performance and durability that this will last longer. And so when people see the value or the quality, you know, they're willing to spend more or, you know, they're willing to invest in you and your vision because they know that the performance is there and the customer service is there, you know, so what is... I think this is something that many people struggle with, many businesses, myself included, when, okay, so many customers are caught up on price. They're caught up on what does this cost, you know, whether it's the pool, whether it's the house, or whether it's the furniture, you know, so how does a company or how have you been successful to say, here's the value that we offer outside of price? Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) that's interesting because I look back and I think, you know, historically, where did, where and why did we do what we did with our pricing and with our quality of product and with our marketing? And, you know, I look back at the whole Steve Jobs thing and the way that, you know, if you, you you wanted to buy a PC and it was so feature marketed, they wanted to feature the RAM, the, the gigabytes, the space, the speed, all these things. When you look at what Apple did is they said, no, we're just going to market the experience. We're going to market the emotion. Um, and if you can tie into that emotion, then maybe uh, price isn't as important. Um, now, when you when you spend the money on our stuff, you're spending the money on the quality, without a doubt. We're not we're not just trying to fake you into an emotional purchase that ultimately is going to lead to a piece of crap furniture, right? We're we're trying to touch on the emotions and engage the purchase through that, as opposed through a uh, consumer that's shopping for best price, right? What do they say? Speed, quality, price. Pick two. You cannot mm-hmm. pick three, right? Speed, quality, price, right? So um, quality, 
is 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 first and foremost for us and we want uh, quality and price right we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we're profitable in order to continue to hire the team that we need to support you um to support our products to support our brand to come up with new products right so we you can't you can't offer a quality product long term for it for a very very low price you'll you won't stay in business um so but um you know ultimately uh we we love it. I mean, we love we love offering these quality products, and we 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 know that if we can touch their emotion in the marketing, price is going to be less concern. Uh, and look, our products are not for everybody. That's another thing we recognize. Our price points are not for everybody. You know, typically, if somebody's putting a hundred thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars into a pool in their backyard, that's going to be our starter client. And they're probably going to be able to afford our in-pool furniture. And once they interact with our in-pool furniture and they know how long it lasts and how the quality of it is, they typically don't hesitate to buy our patio furniture and spend the money on it because they've had that experience with our product that tells them it's worth the investment. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So, for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. One thing you're big on, Chris, is you say investment in knowledge. You know, the importance you have to invest in knowledge. And understanding your market, understanding your product, understanding the consumer, understanding the knowledge in the industry. I mean, this is really what brings value and what makes you successful to understand your business plan and how you can really make quality and price the two drivers of your company. You know, so so where did that come from? You know, it came from being in the pool industry. I mean, it. I think, you know, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart, uh, you know, had business, everything from pulling the wagon around the neighborhood, washing cars to, to, uh, literally I shot, taught people how to shoot shotguns. I was, I was love sporting clays and, and sports shooting. Um, so, you know, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart, but I think really what it was, was it was number one, it was working with customers to place advertising, to try and draw business to their cust to, or customers to their businesses when I was in the marketing business in, uh, in Dallas morning news. But then number two, it was when I was in the backyard working with these consumers, experiencing, um, construction's hard, right? I mean, you get it as a home builder. It's like we, we make com- as, as construction general contractors, we make commitments to our customers all day long that ultimately 
we don't have control over, right? We we hope our our one of our um, subcontractors is going to show up on time tomorrow because he told us he was. We go to our customer and we say, "Hey, customer, you know my my flooring guy is going to my tile guy is going to be here tomorrow at two o'clock." Well, he doesn't show up at tomorrow at two o'clock. He lied to us. We lied to our customer. Ultimately, is the way they see it. Whereas in Maybe he, his truck broke down or maybe this or that. So understanding commitments and how to set expectations, I think that's where I really learned, you know, how to set an expectation that you're not in control of with the customer and make sure you're not promising things that you can't promise because you're not in control of. And then always kind of having backup plans because things will go wrong. Uh, and then how you how you finish the job. I would always tell my customers when I was in the the pool business, you know, we're judged based on how you feel at the end of the project. We will have problems throughout the project, right? We will. I can guarantee you something's going to go wrong. I can guarantee you, you're going to wonder why the hell we made that mistake, right? Because there's so many different hands involved. But what what I can absolutely assure you is at the end of the job, you're going to say, I would use them again. I would use them again and you will refer us. And that's how we get our business. So I think from a, from a understanding business perspective, you know, those things really, really, really helped. But as you said earlier, it's, it's, I want to absorb knowledge. We put our, I put myself in a a CEO group. I meet with 18 CEOs in a, in a group called Vistage, Uh, 18 CEOs once a month. And it is so valuable because I listen to all the problems these other businesses are having. We help solve their problems. They listen to problems my business is having. We help solve the problems. This is where you think about work on your business and not in your business, right? You work in your business all the time. Step away from it and work on it. Get out of it and think about it. You know, those are critical things. And Vistage has really helped me do that one day a month where I can just sit down with some colleague or some, some friends, some, some other business owners and talk through our problems and solve issues. Now it's interesting when you speak about Vistage and you're working with 18 other CEOs, are these specific to your industry or are they all over? Nope. They're all over. In fact, they can't be in my industry. So each Vistage group is made up of non-competitors. Um, believe it or not, (laughs) the, the correlation of issues is the same, right? So we've got businesses in the Vistage group that are, um, 10 million in, in revenue. We got people that are in my Vistage group that are f- half a half a billion in, in revenue. But the problems that we all share are typically pretty consistent uh, with each other's issues. And when we're solving other businesses' issues, it quickly realized that maybe I had an issue I didn't even realize I had, but I'm now ahead of it because I heard somebody else go through it. As opposed to waiting for it to blow up, I'm able to back up and correct it before it gets out of hand because I heard somebody else had the issue. So, you know, they, they say it, you know, they say, surround yourself with people that are better than you, surround yourself with people that, that are like you and that, that want the same outcomes as you. Like that's, that's, uh, that's what Vistage is. It's a whole bunch of people that want to be better or else why would they go show up once a week or once a month to, to chat with people about how to improve their business? Uh, so whether it's Vistage or whether it's a, another type of group that you use together, that's one thing I encourage people to do is work on it, not in it. Well, and, and, and really that's the key, Chris. I mean, if you're thinking how can you better your business, you have to work on your business. And the, the opportunity to network with other professionals that are inside and outside your industry are key. You know, we're, we're similar. You know, I 
I always try to find time to network with people outside of my industry, you know, and, and understand what they're dealing with from manufacturing and product and customer service, as well as, you know, I'm in a builder 20 group, which is a group of 20 builders across the country. We don't compete, but we meet twice a year and we, you know, together we consult each other and we figure out how we can be better, better business owners. And really it comes down to what you mentioned earlier is that self, you know, audit, that knowledge, right? As you sit there and say, okay, as we're setting expectations with the customer, where do we fail on this last transaction? Where do we fail on this last project? And as we document those failures, well, now as a team, we can figure out, okay, how can we solve this? How can we set this expectation in the sales process or in the business development process? So then when we're sitting down with the customer, yeah, we're not going to set the expectation perfectly and create every pitfall, but here's five or six that we've had recently, and here's how we can get around them, especially with COVID, because now COVID's changed all of our businesses, right? I mean, manufacturing mm-hmm. and inflation and costs. I mean, this is really changing by the day that we're trying to work around. So, you know, from your side, Chris, how has, you know, just this last year and a half changed the forecast of your business from manufacturing and supply chain and cost, you know, to manage that aspect? Man, I mean, that's a, that's, we've got to unpack that question. That's a really <laughs> big question. Uh, how has it changed my business in so many ways, right? Um, how is the backyard being used differently? right? It's not. It's not. It's just being used more, more often, right? So what ultimately does that mean? Is that means that people are spending more time in their space, in their backyards. They're realizing they need more things, right? They're, they're realizing they want to create a better space to entertain because I'm going to spend more time in it. If you spend an hour in a space a, a, a week, you don't really care the conveniences and amenities because you're not in it very often, right? But if you spend 10 hours in a space a week, you all of a sudden want to make it more comfortable. You want to make it more enjoyable. You want to make it, uh, you know, something that you can entertain in. You want, you know, we want to do so much more with it. And I think that's what we're seeing. Now, how is the backyard different than it was 10 years ago? It's very different. You know, swimming pools used to be deep bodies of water with diving boards, uh, whereas in they're much more now a social place, shallower bodies of water, tanning ledges, shallow areas, uh, lots of benches, lots of, uh, you know, more shade opportunities there, uh, more of a, much more of a relaxation as opposed to a deep body of water, right? So the backyard has changed. The way we're using it has changed in that sense, but has it changed over COVID the way we're using it? No, we're just using it a lot more. So uh, now, what we have to do is we have to obviously supply the demand. We have to keep up with the demand. Well, it's very, very, very hard when you we created a segment, right? There was no in-pool furniture segment before ledge laundry existed. Sure, did people pull furniture onto tanning ledges? Sure. But was it ever widely promoted in a way that the consumer knew, hey, we can pull our furniture on this ledge and, and it's going to be durable and it's going to last? No, right? We created that. So typically businesses grow 5 10% year over year 20% year over year and they're really really happy with that and i think that's awesome you know it's it's very good because you have market research you have market data you know how big the market is you know what you can do i can tell you there is not one study that exists in the swimming pool industry that will tell you how many pools have tanning ledges it doesn't exist Right. So we either have to spend the money to go do the research and do the data ourselves or we're just putting our finger up in the up in the wind and trying to gauge where it's going. Right. So how big is the market of tanning ledges? Now, we know how many pools are built a year, but we have to be able to 
predict, in order to keep up with demand, we have to be able to predict what that demand is going to be. Ledge Lender has grown 100% year over year, right? Which is five, six times more, 10 times more than the average businesses grow. But yet, we also have to be cautious about when are we going to start hitting that market share level where business is not going to continue to grow because if you always assume you're going to grow 100%, there's going to be some point in time where you've overspent from an investment perspective and you're going to really hang yourself to dry. So it's a very fine balance. Now, what you do, what we've done and, and what my COO Dylan's done such a great job of is on-demand supply chain as opposed to inventory-based supply chain, right? We are 100, well, I say 100%. We're 99% manufactured in the U.S. You know, we we don't have to carry, you know, 10 boatloads of inventory coming over from China in a warehouse to ensure that we're going to be able to meet demand. We have to add maybe some more tooling to ensure that we're going to be able to keep up. <clears throat> but it's it's a different type of supply chain. It's a very unorthodox type of supply chain. It's just in time inventory management as opposed to uh, stocking a warehouse. So we, we've we've had to do that. Now, how COVID has changed it is rapid, rapid, rapid growth. We were growing at 100%. Now, look, it's easy when you're a $2 million business to grow 100%, right? Because you're adding another $2 million. But when you're a $50 million, let's call it a $25 million business to add $25 million in sales is very, very, very hard to do. It takes a totally different infrastructure, right? So how do you, how do you create nimble infrastructure that can change on a fly and change on demand? How do you hire a staff of people that are open to change that aren't stuck in their ways? How do you, you know, how do you do all these things? And, and that's, that's one of, that's been a challenge of ours, but at the same time, it's been something we've now been doing for eight years that we have the team in place that understands how to maneuver in a high growth pace area. So, um, there's again, it's very, very hard to unpack that question because there's so many different directions I can go with it from supply chain to uh, even sales team size, right? Marketing team size. We, one thing we did was we brought, and since the beginning, we brought a lot of our capabilities in house. Um, and I've always been a big proponent of that. So we have a full marketing staff in house, we have a full sales staff in house, we have an HR staff in house, accounting staff in house. Most businesses, Back in the day when we were a smaller business, that size would have outsourced a lot of those things. The problem with outsourcing is you don't get the 40-hour-a-week attention to your business. Mm -hmm. I would rather go hire uh, a marketing graduate that's going to focus on my business 40 hours, 60 hours a week than, and pay them $5,000 a month versus going hiring a marketing agency that's that's a an expert in marketing and pay them $5,000 for five hours because I know that somebody working on my business 40 to 60 hours a week is going to understand it at a much deeper level if they're participating in it all this time versus outsourcing it. So we've been a big proponent on doing that internally. And I think that's what's helped us through these hard times, this COVID time, is we have a bunch of people in our business that understand our business, as opposed to a bunch of outsourced companies that work for us, you know, five hours a week. Uh, so a lot of different aspects there. Hopefully that helps. Uh, but it, there's a lot of different components to what you, <laughs> what you just asked. 
Well, it's interesting. I, I love understanding the complications of every business, right? And, and, and what they have to deal with, because it gives us better understanding from our perspective, you know, how we can be a good partner and facilitate that. You know, when you start thinking about COVID, yeah, there's no doubt that with people at home, and that's really a lot of the boom we're dealing with on a national level is people are confined to their house, whether they're working from home or, mm-hmm. you know, health reasons, you know, and, and COVID concerns. And so spending more time at home, well, they may need an office or an office for their kids, you know, to do homework and work from home, or they may want to spend more time outside. So they're getting that physical activity. And as you mentioned, people are utilizing their pool, they're using their outdoor. And so understanding that aspect is really important in that knowledge side. But when you speak about manufacturing, the, the benefit you have, as you mentioned, is you guys are manufacturing on demand, right? You're American made, you're doing everything here. And so you're not trying to gauge inventory, but but there still are major complications as business grows, as you've seen, and people have a demand for your product. Well, you know, you still have, you know, a certain amount of assembly, right? That you can put this together and 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 get the product that you need to put everything together. No. Um, and 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 that's really the hard part to gauge is as you're trying to say, well, we don't want to produce too much or grow too fast because we may hit that level where it slows down and now we're overstaffed. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's right. I mean, you're. <laughs> It's not only even if you are American made, right? There's still there's still hiccups in the supply chain of of this piece or that piece or this piece. When you see a problem, don't wait for it to fester. Solve it, right? For example, we have threaded plugs that go in the bottom of our product, and the threaded plug is so critical because if you try and use a push-in plug, every time you sit down on that product, water will come out of the hole. Because if, if, if you take a, for example, take a water bottle, screw on the cap, tightly squeeze it, no water comes out. Screw the cap a little bit off, squeeze it, water's going to find its way out. When you let go of the water bottle, if it was underwater, it's going to let some water back in, but it's not going to let as much water back in as it let out. So the bottle's going to stay kind of creased or, or kinked a little bit, right? So what we figured was what we saw in the beginning of our product was people would sit on our chair. They would, water would come out of it because it was a push in plug. It was not a threaded plug. It did not create a tight seal. So we said, look, we've got to go get these spin welds. We got, so we actually patented the process of of the utility patent of utilizing the threaded plug to maintain water in the chair higher than in the pool. So this threaded plug is so critical to our product and the success of our product. If we don't have it, if you use a push in plug, and you do a cannonball next to the tanning ledge, the chair moves moves nine inches. And then you do another splash, and it moves another. Eventually, it's kind of floating around your pool. Whereas in ours, utilizing this threaded plug, maintaining the water in the, in the product that doesn't escape, it's going to more likely stay in place. Now, what we find was the supply chain was, for these threaded plugs, was not used to the demand that our product was putting on it. They weren't making, the, the industry was not making tens of thousands of these plugs kind of thing. And so we needed them. So what we did was we said, look, instead of just saying, oh man, we got a problem. Let's, let's, let's place an order and let's get at, we just went and made our own mold for these plugs. So now we're in control of the supply as opposed to relying on a whole bunch of other people. And that's exactly kind of what I'm talking about in the sense of, of hiring team members as opposed to outsourcing. The more you outsource, the more other people can control you versus you controlling it. So now by us owning a mold for this threaded plug, we can manufacture as many as we need on demand. So yes, we still outsource the actual manufacturing of that plug, but we own the tool 
and we can get the tool to the company that can make it for us. So as opposed to just relying on the supply chain. So again, identifying the problems, hopefully before they come too big of an issue and solving them, jumping on it and solving it as opposed to letting it fester. I think too many times people don't prioritize some of those issues and they just let them go on until it creates a, a really bad scenario for them. Well, it's interesting because as you mentioned, when you start thinking about identifying the problem and then solving it, I mean, these, it, it, it sounds simple, but it's much more complex and complicated than it may seem. And as you mentioned, you know, trying to come up with a patent and getting this patent and then, okay, let's control manufacturing. Let's, you know, we have our own mold. We can make these ourselves. Well, you're solving all these issues, which is super key. And, and one thing that's also important to solve is not only the internal side, as you're thinking about manufacturing, but also the creative side, you know, your background's design, Chris. I mean, this is what you did. And so what's key for any good designer, if they're using CAD or SketchUp or Chief Architect, I mean, whatever they're doing for their automation, well, one thing is I can design this beautiful pool and we can do this video tour at night and we can do it in the morning and what it's going to look like. And here's your landscape. But they also need icons or they need, you know, the CAD features of Ledge Lounger where they can actually put the Ledge Lounger product mm -hmm. in the pool or around the pool, the furniture side. So, you know, how does that integration come to fruition where, okay, we need to get all of our CAD information and all of our, you know, logos and product info and pictures, if you will. So then that way these designers can start using it, you know, which is a huge part of the sales process. So that's one thing we recognized pretty early just because of my background was number one, we needed to get our products in Structure Studio. Structure Studio is the 3D software that probably 90% of pool, pool designers use because it's just, it's such a great software. They Structure Studio has done an incredible job. It's called Pool Studio by Structure Studios. Uh, so we, we've been in that very, very, very early on, uh, probably within the, the second or third year of being in business. We, we put all of our products in that. Uh, now their business model has changed a little bit. They don't, necessarily have a whole lot more vendors that they're adding, but they do use 3D Warehouse now. So if you want to enter anything else into that program, you can go to 3D Warehouse and you can download any any SketchUp file and basically drop it in Pool Studio. What we also did though is we created a, a dealer resource for all of our B2B customers, all of our trade customers. Just about, I'd say 90% of our products on our website are, we do have uh, the SketchUp file resource or the, the import file resource for AutoCAD. Uh, so literally all you have to do is go to our website, go to that product, look at the resources page, and then you can just download that that product file. I think a lot of people are afraid to put those files on their website because they're afraid of competitors, you know, coming along and understanding exactly how it's made. Look, we protect a lot of our products with, with design patents. Uh, so yes, can they change it? Can they modify it? Sure, but they're never going to get that original design that we created in the sense that, that we have the design patent protection on, on, on the few of those products, on the, on the major products for sure. But, you know, I think you, you can't be too concerned with, with competition. You have to be more concerned with the ease of use for your, for your customers in that sense. And so we've chosen to put those resources on every product page on our website. So any, any B2B customer uh, can download those and use them in their AutoCAD or SketchUp drawings. You know, the, it, it's so valuable because so many people are concerned, hey, do I want to put this on social media because people are going to see my systems? Or, you know, yes. do I put this on my website? Do I put this here? You know, because people consume this stuff. But Yes, you know, they're not you. They're not ledge lounger, right? I mean, the thing is you have a product, you have a brand, you have a reputation. And so, yes, there's going to be information putting out there that you're going to have knockoffs or we don't want to call theft, but people that are trying to mimic what you're doing. Sure. But but the value is, is that you're still trying to get to the consumer at the end of the day. You're still working with your B2B vendors and giving them the resource and the ability to envision this and see it and put it in 
well, this is what increases your business development and sales arm. And you can't always worry about what everyone else is doing and what, you know, or they're trying to mimic you. I mean, you have to set the precedence and say, look, we are who we are. This is what we do. We're going to put the information out there because that's the value we bring. Yeah. And to that point, I think, you know, we're, we're five, we should be five steps ahead, right? We're already developing products for 2023, 2024. You know, we, we've got our product list coming out for 2020, uh, 2022. So, you know, I think they're just playing keep up. They're just playing, you know, keep up. Whereas, and we're really trying to innovate and get out ahead. You know, it's so important that you, we focus on our B2B cycle because they're the, they're the tip of the spear when it comes to the buying cycle, right? If, if I can continue to focus on having a great network of pool builders promoting and selling our products, who is the first person that the consumer runs into is the pool builder. Who's the first, you know, the interior designer, the home builder. If there, that business is so important to us. And I think too many businesses think, Oh, the, the direct consumer is the way to go. The higher margins, you can discount it. You can instant gratification. You can run a special and then all of a sudden have tons of purchases for us. We have never publicly run a discount ever to protect our trade base. Our trade base is so important to me. And maybe it's because it's my background and I understand it that I've said, Hey, look, we're not going to go discount because as soon as we discount on our website, then that pool builder, that homeowner, that interior designer is going to lose that sale. And then they're going to stop selling my product because they put all this effort into trying to sell it. And then all of a sudden we discounted, we undercut them. They did all the work to, to educate the consumer and then boom, they come to our website and buy it. That's just not right. That's not cool. So we've said, look, if somebody comes on our website and buys from us, we might market to them privately to their email box on accessories and other items. But we are always going to protect our trade and we will not offer a discount on our website to the consumer uh, publicly facing as well as we we uphold map pricing. We expect and, and we make sure that every single one of our vendors is is operating at, at a minimum advertised price, as well as we require any online dealers to make sure that they're charging a shipping price so that it levels the playing ground for everybody. Uh, so that's been critical for us, our B2B channels and just protecting them and making sure that we have a, a long-term relationship with our B2B clients. Well, the key to any company to be successful, and whether in manufacturing or customer service, you have to have people that sell your brand that aren't on your payroll. And essentially, right. keeping those commitments in line and keeping that relationship open with all of your pool builders and, and B2B customers around the country while protecting them is going to create that incentive where they want to continue to work for you and sell the brand. So just, you know, you don't cut off your nose to spite your face. I mean, you really yeah. understand that business methodology and that's what you're implementing. Well, I think it's mutual respect, right? We respect them and we want them to respect us and we want them to be loyal to us and we're going to be loyal to them. And, and I, it's worked out very well so far. So what's your personal favorite piece of the ledge lounger line? Hmm. Um, <laughs> it changes all the time. Um, you know, it's kind of, there's things that we've had forever. Uh, and then there's the new things. I think right now, <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of our ping pong table. Um, there's not too many ping pong tables you can put outdoors and leave in the rain. Um, you know, we're also seeing that the ping pong table is being used as alternatively as a dining table. You can pop the net off and use it as a dining table, which I think a lot of people are really seeing a lot of usability uh, in that. 
so I'm really, really happy with that. We actually made our own paddles too. I mean, it would have been easy to just go source some paddles, but we made our paddles out of the same uh, HDPE the table's made out of. So you can leave the paddles out in the rain as well, and they're not going to be destroyed. Uh, so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, we're going to, our, our credenza is pretty cool. Uh, our Echo Sunbed, I'm really, really passionate about it. Really, we released it last year, but we haven't really started promoting it yet. Uh, and so I, I'm really loving the, the sunbed kind of look and feel of, you know, kind of, again, bringing that resort to the backyard. Um, I think so many homeowners want their pool to look like uh, at the W Hotel down the road. And it's amazing how furniture can help accomplish that. You know, just these these daybed, sunbed type looks and feels can really, really enhance Um enhance a space uh, and they're reasonable. I mean, look, if you go online and you try and buy a, a credenza or excuse me, a cabana sunbed type thing, you can spend upwards of $10,000. You can get them on our website for, for the $3,000 range, uh, which sounds expensive, but for the quality of what you're getting, it's really not. So I like the day beds. I like the sunbeds, the ping pong tables. Um, you're going to see some really, I can't, can't get there yet, but I uh, can't, can't announce it yet. But in 2022, we're going to be bringing some, some, updated designs to some of our original product that we've had forever but you know just uh kind of creating a, a version two uh if you will of of some of the original stuff that uh maybe just kind of uh, freshen it up a little bit but at the same time maintain kind of the classic style that's uh that's made us so popular so excited yeah. about that i and i am too and it's funny because earlier in the conversation you mentioned that people uh, are using their backyard differently, you know. As 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 it's changed, you know, it's it's shallower pools. People are outside. They're they're entertaining. They have shade structures. You know, they're in there having a drink and relaxing on relaxing on the bench. And and that's really where when you start thinking as the W or the Four Seasons or that kind of that feel, that's what you've done is these backyard spaces. Yeah, you know, from the day beds and uh, the chases and you know the bar stools and the pool. I mean, just the ping pong table. I mean, these are things that really the amenities that we're looking for. And it's just amazing that innovation and, and I'm super excited to see what you have upcoming next and can't thank, thank you, you enough, Chris, for everything you shared, you know, just your business inside and acumen and really helping us understand the little things we can do, you know, to gain that knowledge to, to better our business. And so, you know, for those listening, how can they find you and learn more about Ledge Lounger? Sure. I, you know, I think the easy thing is just come to our website, ledgeloungerswithans.com. I think it's also ledgeloungercom Uh, Instagram's a great place to follow us. We, we're really, really heavy on the Instagram channel. We really keep it updated and, and uh, utilize the stories as well as the, the, the pictures uh, quite a bit there. So definitely follow us there and, and you can stay in tune to what's going on. And look, I just, Brad, Brad, thank you so much for having me. I'm just so grateful for the time here and love sharing our story. And uh, if there's any, any B2B people out there that want to reach out and ask questions or, or help or even give advice or input, we're always open to it. So please feel free to reach out. And I can assure you will not be disappointed. So thanks again, Chris. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.